Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, listeners. This is MJ. We have a little bit of a different episode this week. I have a guest co-host named Lee. Some of you who keep up with my work might know her from my content in the background. And... She is someone close to me who does not keep up with the Kardashians. So her perspective is always fun when she does like come in to weigh in. So hi, Lee. Hello, MJ. And hi, listeners. Welcome to Dispatches from the Kardashian Simulacrum, where we process our hot takes and media theory takeaways from last night's episode of the Kardashians. So Lee, what did you think of what you saw? I don't really know where to start. Um, don't you have some talking points there? <laughs> <laughs> well, just for like the fun of the conversation, because normally Marie and I like structure it into like five takeaways. But I don't know, like as a new-ish viewer, you've seen some episodes from yeah. like being around my work. Like, what do you remember from the episode? What stood out to you? Um, well, the more recent, one of the more tail end things, like the breast thing, uh, the... <laughs> I don't know, the breast thing. The, the breastfeeding. Breast and the sibling rivalry. That Did they say that this... Did they, were they saying that the sibling rivalry goes back to the breastfeeding and this is why Courtney's mad about the whole... Um, what's the designer again? Dolce & Gabbana. Dolce, Dolce & Gabbana. I it, mean... It stems back to not being breastfed somehow. <laughs> Because I get it. <laughs> I get it. In that case, it at first I thought it was like ridiculous about this whole wedding thing. So I thought, oh, it might be like some sister shit that runs really deep. But like now that it comes back to a breast, I understand. <laughs> they, it is funny that they included that as some like genesis to the conflict because basically to bring you all up to speed it's a this episode was a continuation of the kim and courtney dolce and gabbana drama and that in and of itself is becoming i think for engaged viewers this like whose side are you on whose side makes more sense there's like that like binary kind of factions of takes that inevitably develop in response to kardashian content there are going to be some people that think courtney's right Kim is too driven, as Marie put it last week. She's capitalist Pac-Man. And then others are going to be like, Courtney's so ridiculous. This is histrionic. Like, you know, it, whatever. Or, and then there's, of course, like the third party people that are like, it's all staged. So 
the Kardashians are taking us through like what this tension really means. And so first Chloe tells the viewer in a confessional, no, Chris does, you know, it all started with some tension over jeans back in high school. Uh, Kim went into Courtney's classroom and demanded her jeans back. And then Chloe corrects it. She says, no, it actually was the other way around. Courtney demanded jeans back from Kim, which perfectly parallels the narrative we see here obviously courtney feels like kim stole something from her and she wants it back and she wants to feel respected um and have her voice be heard but then so you would think they would leave it there like this interesting jeans anecdote that's like a microcosm for the larger mythological fashion drama we see now mythic not mythological sorry um but what lee is talking about is that in the next scene it becomes a deeper anecdote about how Chris didn't breastfeed Courtney. And that's why that she's so mad. So yes, it is funny that they took it to the next level and chose to include that and like, let us know something like very personal about like Courtney as a baby and like her bond with her mom and blamed Chris. Wait, I, I, I just want to make sure I wasn't misunderstanding something, but like, that's what they were saying, right? It's what they were implying in a kind of a tongue in cheek way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, but do you get it? You, you, you have some, some rage stemming from a lack of boob as well, right? Well, as lesbians, we have joked that because our moms refuse to breastfeed us, we have our mommy issues. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I will say when we were watching the episode, we did look at each other and laugh. Yeah. So that's check. What was your mom's excuse? Cause Chris was talking about like formula and shit, right? <laughs> like what was, what was yours? What was your mom's excuse? Then I'll tell my mom's. So I heard that my mom's excuse was that, uh, well, that she thought, it was gay <laughs> for a baby girl to be sucking on a grown woman's teeth. But it was fine for my brothers because that was straight. <laughs> but the point is, I try not to psychoanalyze the family, as we all know. But I do think a lot of us can agree that we pick up on like a very clear like mother rage that Courtney has towards Chris and like the rest of the family, I think in general. And I think that's what they meant too by like, Oh, it actually goes back to the breastfeeding. I think it was like the idea that like Courtney has had an abiding resentment for a long, long, long time. So that's why in the beginning when they're at that vegan restaurant, Mm -hmm. she's just like, what did she say? This is my thing. Yes. Good callback to something I wanted to talk about. So in the beginning of the episode, Um, We see Courtney and Travis visit a restaurant that Travis has invested in. I found it interesting for one, because it was a brick and mortar Kardashian investment. Like, I don't know if we've really seen them engage in a brick and mortar enterprise since Dash, right? Like Skims has pop-ups. Skims has pop-up stores. Good American is in department stores. All their products are in department stores. But like, I don't know, something about a place that like, fans would want to physically enter and visit that manifests like a Kardashian essence. I don't know if there's a lot of that. 
in their brand. I just found it interesting that like, this is a place where you go and you consume food and like, that's a way of engaging with a Kardashian and this case, Kravis like product. Um, and it's very Kravis. Their, their, their menu is vegan and there's matcha and it's like the whole Kravis shtick is embodied apparently by this restaurant. And it's the whole family, the whole Kravis family, like Courtney's kids, Travis's kids. Wait, I, should we like fact check that somehow? Because I, I, I think I vaguely remember Crossroads Vegan Kitchen was a thing long before they ever got together. Really? So I, I don't, I don't know this, but I think we should like hold back on that until we can confirm this because I I was vegan for for a while in my youth and um, I thought this is one of those places that I heard about that was I'm like ah yes I must try this place kind of list well and let it be known that Lee is a California girl so she has a special knowledge and context on no, I don't. The Barkers no, on LA locales, you know? I mean, you know... It was Travis openly vegan at the time that you were, like, having Travis Barker pride? Again, stop. No, no. You always <laughs> overstate that. Like, you I, started it. It's just, like, a little factoid I bring up, especially ever since, like, coming to New York, because, like, nobody knows, like... Like, I just say I'm from L.A. and, like, yeah, I did move here from L.A. Because, like, but, like, nobody knows what the fuck, you know, like, Fontana is. Well, will you give them clarity on, like, what? So I just tell them, like, oh, Travis Barker's from Fontana. Lee is from a suburb of L.A. called Fontana. And so I personally... Actually, it's not in L.A. County, but whatever. So it's, like, a suburb... it, I guess you could consider it part of the greater Los Angeles area, but it's technically not LA County. It's a separate county. Well, that's what a suburb of LA, like that's neighboring. What I mean. It's a uh, part of San Bernardino County. But like the point is, not- I've heard Lee explain where she's from to new people by saying, "I'm from Fontana. That's where Travis Barker's from," <laughs> <laughs> and it charms me. So it's something I now, I now like to share for you. It's not really like a big point of pride. I'm not like a huge Travis fan, like, but you know, if it helps people, you know, like, I don't know. I just throw that in there. Yeah. Well, yet again, Kardashian character is providing a reference point and a context in the larger, like social language between humans. Okay. So they are at the restaurant, apparently. Well, okay. To your point about fact checking, I don't know that this is a Courtney investment. I think it was said that it was only Travis's investment. So it's not technically a Kardashian product. Mm -hmm. That's true. Yeah. Like a lot of celebrities invest in restaurants. Mm -hmm. And while they're there, they see Avril Lavigne. (laughs) (laughs) So it's a true full Kravis experience. And they're letting us know if you come to Crossroads, you might see Avril Lavigne. You might see the Barkers themselves. I would definitely go just to see Avril Lavigne. I'm surprised they didn't make more of a moment out of that. I know. (laughs) I know. Um, Okay. So moving from this and and, and yes, uh, with this crossroads moment as well, like court, that's Courtney's opportunity to say, 
this is my family. She separates herself from like the Kardashian Jenner kind of uh, like collective. And she shows that like, yeah, she's kind of part of that web of networks, of course, still she's a Kardashian, but for her, the investment, the real like social environment that defines her now is being a Barker. So what's the beef again? Like we talked more about boobs than the beef, Mm -hmm. but like, okay. So like there was a wedding Mm -hmm. and there was somehow like Dolce and Gabbana associated somehow. And, and then Kim did a thing with Dolce and Gabbana and somehow that's wrong. Yes. Explain, explain that. Like, do you understand that beef? Yes. So the beef is that Kravis had their Dolce & Gabbana, quote unquote, hosted wedding, which was essentially a branded wedding. And it was full of archival looks and they dressed every member of the Kardashian family. And so it was like this weird, like interesting, uh, another new medium for advertisement, for fashion advertisement, where it's like a fashion show. But it's also a ritual, you know, a celebration and also being documented by a reality show and also all over Instagram, um, photographed by this like really respected fashion photographer named Ellen Von Unworth. So it was a full like multi-layered visual experience when Kravis got married. And then apparently only a few months later, Kim accepts this deal with Dolce & Gabbana to creative direct a fashion show. One thing I'll notice, um, or I'll just mention, Made, who runs uh, Data But Make It Fashion, an Instagram account, found that there was much more interest in the Kravis wedding online than in this fashion show that Kim Creative directed. I remember when the imagery came out from this project that Kim had with Dolce & Gabbana and not really having an understanding of what it was, just like, oh, Kim's doing something with them and she's dressed like a blonde bombshell and she and the Italian aesthetic and like, okay, cool. Lots of Dolce & Gabbana vibes lately. Um, and now they're kind of teasing out on the show that there was drama about it, about the proximity of Kim's project to Courtney's and the timeline of it all. And so that's what the season really is. It's carrying this season. So I went into it feeling like it's surely staged. You know, this is a big Dolce Dolce deal for the year. Last year was Balenciaga with Kim. This year is Dolce & Gabbana with the family. Um, My sister believes that actually there is a real drama that, yes, it seems superficial, but because these women are becoming one and the same with their their market, with their commodities, with the branding – it is battle of the brands. It is kind of like you, you and your brand deal got too close to me and my brand deal. And now that Marie kind of reframed it that way, I feel like, I mean, we always live as viewers of the Kardashian simulacrum in this liminal space of not ever knowing what's real or what's staged. And I think at some point they lose sight of it themselves, which brings us to the way this whole episode started with, with a prank actually. Oh, a prank of like, this guy likes you. Yes. But he's not actually... Wait, what? Yeah. I, well, okay. Wait, then, so the thing was he wasn't actually interested in her? Or I thought he was a gigolo? Well, there's a few... Like, no, it's all very confusing. I'll map this out for the listeners before we get into it. The episode begins with North being brought into a quintessential Kardashian prank on Chloe. Because Chloe tells some story about how there was a hot guy in her elevator and it turns out that he was her hotel room neighbor. And so then Kim and her like influencer 
friends and North decide to prank Chloe and write a note to Chloe pretending it's from the guy. A, it's interesting because this shows the family bringing North into their antics. B, Kim tweeted not long before the season premiered, not uh, a few months before. What do, you, what do you guys want to see in the next season? Pranks, work stuff, kid stuff. Pranks were in the mix because pranks were a big part of the show in its early incarnation. So that was them also being like, we'll bring, how do we bring back the antics? The antics will only work and be believable if the kids are involved. So North is kind of carrying the torch of Kardashian silliness because it's weirder with these billionaire ladies to be stiffly doing pranks, I think. Um, so the hotel room guy prank is separate from another prank they were doing on Chloe involving a man, which is bringing in this Italian actor from a Netflix show named Michelle Maroney or something. And it's an interesting liminal space to put Chloe in because essentially it's content for the show to put Chloe, have her meet a hot guy when there's all this anxiety about what Chloe's going to do next after Tristan. But it's, it's also like a setup, but it's like a setup to just evoke a scenario. You know what I mean? Mm. And then he rolls in. Wait, <laughs> sorry. So the hotel neighbor is a different guy. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But he, Michelle Maroney shows up and they meet, they take a picture and essentially his role is, as you said, while we were watching, like he's an actor, yes, for Netflix for a sexy show, but he's basically playing gigolo to the Kardashian women in this case. Mm. So, so is this like a real um, crush or is this just like promotion for like right it's interesting that he's representative of netflix i don't think this is the first time that kim has mentioned netflix on the show i'm wondering why they didn't choose like a hottie from a hulu show since it's uh their show is being hosted by hulu and he really is there to kind of like play a role for the advancement of certain imagery because what goes on to happen and they process this on the show is Chloe's in glam and she's looking at her phone and she's like, wow, like it's really circulating this picture that we took where he's kissing my forehead or whatever he was doing. And she actually says explicitly, um, what does she say? She says, I like the narrative. Like I like the narrative. I'd rather this narrative than the other one that's been going about her and Tristan. And so almost the idea that there's like a swath of narratives that they can choose from to try to like kind of, um, offer to the public and see what catches and there's and like the truth beneath these narratives is kind of negligible but she likes that this one's out there true or not because it's preferable to the other one it's like this is Paige, the co-host of giggly squad and i want to tell you about a company that i've been loving olive in june olive in june gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. You know what I mean? Like the optionality of it's interesting. Mm. You know, like narratives abound. I like this one, you know? Wait, but were they also saying that Kim... Kim like arranged for that guy mm-hmm. too. Yes, somehow he arranged. She did arrange. She she set this one up. How much did she pay for that? <laughs> That's a good question. It's interesting to speak to that optionality point that they know that they can that the the the, the individual in question is again peripheral. It's kind of like we need a hottie from a popular show to come in, stand here. And produce an image with Chloe. Do you think the Kardashians hire gigolos? Do you think that they're secretly um, she Johns? <laughs> and in this case, a kind of hiding in plain sight employment of a of a gigolo. You know, I feel like they do because you know what? They're like so rich and famous. I don't know. I also, I am, I wouldn't be shocked, you know, like, I wouldn't be shocked. Certainly, like, when I've, like, heard podcasts where, like, these straight ladies bring a male gigolo, they get, like, really giggly on the podcast. Like, they get, like, stupid. (laughs) So, like, it's just like, yeah, like, it's, I don't know. It's hard for me to speak to because there's so much wrapped into the subversion of these roles when it's the exchange of money and power and masculinity and femininity. Like we code these things of like male power is associated with money and like sexual domination and like women fall into the other side of that. And the Kardashians have kind of exploded a lot of this coding like and in some senses, they're the most prototypical, basic girl bosses just to the highest scale. But because there has not been a collective of women, so a w- collective of women of this size that have traveled as high and epically as they have, like they have, they have shattered the glass ceiling and then gone beyond it. And that is not to say that I don't say that in a way that like ignores like their privilege whatever unethical things have had to be done to get to that point and all the problematic things about the family. But the fact is we've never seen women consolidate power and like soar as high as they have ever. So I guess that speaks to your question. What does that do to sexuality? What does that do to connection to men? What does that do um, to like partner selection? And I don't know. 
I don't know. But I guess, yeah, like, they... Okay. But oh, but also to this point of, like, Shijon and, like, the subversion of power and this alignment with traditionally masculine roles in perhaps the most toxic sense, the conversation actually goes to a discussion of... They're using a metaphor to explain what could go wrong in the conversation between, between Kim and Courtney when they finally broach the Dolce & Gabbana drama. And Chloe and Chris are talking about how inevitably it'll become a dick measuring contest. So even that, in talking about a conflict between the sisters, they're, they're describing themselves to be having metaphorical dicks. And apparently mm-hmm. Courtney has an average sized dick, Kim has a big dick, and Chris has the biggest schlong, they say. And you know what's interesting about that? <laughs> what? What's interesting about that? That what I've been rewatching early seasons of Keeping Up with the Kardashians for research for my book, and I really I for I had forgotten how often they use the word vagina. They talk about their vaginas all the time in early seasons of Keeping Up, which I think is something that was very actually I think that was like one of the little details of the show's content that got to people. That's part of what made them like deplorable to people subconsciously or noticeable to people, whatever. And so I think it's kind of interesting that we haven't really heard about their vaginas in a while, but the most. Because when they girl bossed up, they got um, penises. (laughs) Right. Apparently that's what happens. But the comfort for real with that language and with the fat, the self-styling to men is quite interesting. Even though they're being silly, they're, you know, they're doing it all tongue in cheek, but I think we have to notice that. Are you sure they don't talk about their vaginas anymore? Like maybe just not on the show. No, for I don't know what they're talking about amongst each other. I'm sure that it's not that there's a psychological bl- block against vagina talk now, but I just think it's funny that we're hearing more about dicks in the context of them. And they had no a few seasons ago they made a joke about Chloe was saying how her vagina is too big to wear skims or something. So they don't hide from <laughs> talking about vaginas, but to this point about gender and power and whatever. It's just interesting that to speak a little bit to Kim's actual show that she creative directed. There were a few interesting things she and Marie noticed this in previous episodes, like the big responsibility for Kim in designing the show was to use archival Dolce pieces with a Kim spin. So when she was assessing the models, she was like, we need to make them more Kim ish. And so this idea that there's like a Kim twist into any kind of content now and that the market value is how much Kim defines it kind of, or Kim's like mediation of it, her role as a medium. It's a new wave of what was once Kardashian face on Instagram in 2010. This idea that Kim is saturating the culture in one way or another, whether it's a bunch of influencers with the face just like hers or Kim, you know, clones of Kim wearing Yeezy all over LA. And then um, I remember Natalie Franklin made a TikTok about someone else wearing like a Balenciaga bodysuit. I forgot who, I don't know if it was, I feel like it was like Lisa Rinna or someone. And Natalie was like, I thought that was Kim Kardashian or that could have been Kim Kardashian. And even just like the silhouette of like a hourglass body in a Balenciaga bodysuit, it's the new Kim face. And so this idea of like, now it's getting a little softer, but there's still a Kim touch in these couture. I don't know if it was couture. It was, it was vintage. It wasn't couture, but in these looks like just 
the Kim spreading across culture is the goal always. But one other thing I thought was interesting about Kim's fashion show is Chloe's talking about, Oh, there's two things that actually I found quite interesting about Kim's fashion show. One, Chloe says, it's just so crazy to see my sister. She did this big thing. It's something I hope we never get used to when these new levels happen, that we don't get used to it and it stays exciting. So it's another acknowledgement of like, we've all, at a certain point, the Kardashians will like go up a level and then the public is like outraged or scoffing at it or whatever the reaction is. That's usually like kind of like moderate, at least to strong. And then everyone adapts like, okay, they're here now. They've gotten bigger. Like just a few years ago, Kim wasn't doing high fashion stuff. Like Kanye got her rubbing shoulders with people and invited to Paris fashion week. And those things were happening, but it was still like, there's a Kardashian here or people don't want Kim Kardashian here. But now all that she's doing is dealing at the high level of fashion. And we had, we accept that now we know it and like people might not like it and talk shit, but it's like become the normal. And so this idea that the Kardashians have their own process of like being shocked and then adapting and like relishing these successes, they have to say that to remain relatable, but it just mirrors an interesting process that the public has with watching them grow. And that's why it's so interesting that there's such a, like the Kardashians are over discourse because in a way Kim's never been bigger like wearing the Maryland dress and entering the status of a billionaire and these things, it's it, the growth doesn't stop. Any thoughts? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> um, finally, when Kim is talking about her hope that the show is successful, she says, because if it's not good, it's me, they'll blame. And that speaks to, I am actually very interested in what you think about this. I thought that was, like, them, like, just, like, trying to create stakes for the drama. It was just, like, I don't know, like, maybe it's just me, but it's just, like, I wasn't here wondering, like, at the edge of my seat. I'm, like, yeah, I'm sure the show's going to be fine. No, same. (laughs) And, like I said, frankly. I'm sure, like, she got all the right people involved. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. But what I found interesting about this particular, if people don't like it, it's me, they'll blame comment is there is truth to the idea that because Kim is so visible and it's solely on her more and more in her partnerships and in her, the different mediums that she comes to represent. Like for, I always go back to this because it's one of the most interesting, like little questions and conversation, like exchanges I've had in this journey. Sam Sanders at Vulture asked me on his podcast, you know, there's a lot of billionaires out there, but it feels like Kim is the symbol of like late capitalism. Why is it all on her? And obviously the answer has to do with the parasocial relationships that they foster with their audience. So it, it's sort of like, it's easier to be angry at the people you feel close to kind of thing. And so for the public, that's Kim. And then I read, and you read too, because we both read parts of it, this book called Shooting Kennedy by David Lubin. He wrote a biography of John F. Kennedy or the Kennedy family, but focused on their images. And remember in the intro when he quoted Stalin? I might have skipped over that part. There's a quote. Stalin says something like, hang on, I'm going to look it up. 
Stalin inspirational quote. <laughs> Something like a tragedy. Yeah, here we go. Stalin said, the death of one man is a tragedy. The death of a million is a statistic. That's very disturbing coming from Stalin. Mm -hmm. But you know what I mean? That concept, like the idea of like when there's a phenomenon, it's too abstract for people to process so that it's, it's much easier to grasp and like latch onto the singular exemplar. In Kim's case, Kim as like capitalist Pac-Man and the bad guy. Now I just want to Google Stalin inspirational quotes. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's all I can take away from this. But, uh, um, but the idea that like an exemplar, a single individual that represents a larger concept, that's what Kim was speaking to when she said, if it all goes wrong, it's me they'll blame. Because the fact is it wasn't only Kim that put on that show. There was a larger team. There were workers behind the creation of the show. There were other visionaries behind the creation of the show. But Kim knows like what she, the power that she holds and also the scapegoat that she is. Yeah. So she's getting the credit if it goes well, but she's taking the fall if it goes badly. Yeah. You mean like if the face of something, like if they found that there were um, frosted flakes were tainted with something, Tony the Tiger <laughs> would take the blame for it and everybody would be mad at Tony the Tiger and he could potentially lose his job as a face of frosted flakes. Yes, that exactly. I mean, I think Tony the Tiger is pretty great. Unconditionally, though? You know, there are a couple of things he could do that would make me mad, but um, he hasn't done them. And if something ever came out wrong with Frosted Flakes, I, I, I would forgive Tony because I know, I know he's just the face. So you are a critical and not passive media consumer. <laughs> I try, but um, I'm not really above anything. I just try, but I, I, I can definitely be manipulated just like the next person. You know, I think we've had this conversation about cults, mm -hmm. but like, yeah, it's easy to look at like people that fell into a cult and then like be like oh they're so dumb but like actually i could totally see myself you know joining a cult under certain circumstances like i'm i'm not above anything i actually like have a harder time seeing that for you i think that you are pretty cautious and critical <clears throat> but I have thought more because I used to have the arrogant stance of like, I would never fall victim to a cult. Like I'm too strong minded and strong willed. Like, no. And, and I am such an individualist and I don't say that in a self aggrandizing way. I mean it in like, I'm a little bit of like a loner weirdo way that I think it'd be hard to get to me. But when I look at myself, I'm like, there are ways that I'm so critical and aware. And then there's other ways where because of all the intensity going to that intense awareness there are other ways that I'm incredibly gullible and naive and I'm aware of that now. So I'm no longer going to arrogantly say that I'm 
impervious to like cult messaging or, or manipulation because I think it could also happen to me. And you used to always say, no, don't be so arrogant because it could happen to anyone. And I was like, nah, not me. And now I'm like, why did I think that? I'm a fallible human just like everyone else. <laughs> and on that note. On that note, who's our NPC for the episode? What does that mean? Non-playable like, character. I know what that means, but like, what do you mean like for the episode? Each episode, Marie and I select the NPC of the episode because the Kardashians wouldn't exist without these supportive characters and their scenes sometimes moving things along. So like one time there was an NPC and it was like a server at one of the restaurants they were at in London who like had to play with Stormy while Kylie got distracted in the background. We could see like him being like, no, and like having to like boundary something with Stormy as she was playing like and had that awkward position. So who's our episode NPC? We have to have the same one. No. Do you have one in mind? Mine is actually, and we don't usually choose people that are actually within the family's cast, but Simon, he was a glorified NPC, which was so funny and kind of sad to not watch with Marie because we do think that like Simon's role to Simon is Courtney's like right-hand man, but he also gets along with Kim He's kind of a yes man, but he also knows the family and knows his sisters really well. And so Kim calls Simon to pull him into the drama with, between her and Courtney. And just knowing that like that puts Simon, who, as Marie put it, is Courtney's Swiss army knife, like into this weird like middleman position. Like that would only happen to Simon. And so he's the NPC for me because like I can't imagine like the stress he felt getting that call and having to perform, knowing that there were probably cameras rolling and then like not betray Courtney, but also it's Kim Kardashian on the phone trying to get like yes answers from you. So he's my NPC because he really was playing a function to the narrative and to the girls in this episode. Well, let me know if this counts as an NPC choice. My favorite NPC for the episode was Avril Lavigne because like she was just like there and then like you thought that there would be like more of a thing and it wasn't and I'm not gonna lie I was a little disappointed <laughs> she's just like and then you know they did say that she died a long time ago right yes so like she's not playable couldn't agree more great point and on that note Thank you for listening, everyone. Thank you for providing a warm welcome to our special guest, Lee. Thank you for having me. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.